It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to the awesome.com NFL strategy show week three edition. It's time to talk matchups, sit back, relax, get comfortable. It's going to be a while. I'm Dave Lagren with me as he is every single Thursday, breaking these 13 game slates down with me, Matt Savoka, Matt, we're in for it, man. We've got a lot to talk about. And you know, before the show began, you actually stated, and I quote verbatim, I feel like I actually know these teams worse now than I did before the season started. And I've got to tell you, that is probably a similar sentiment that many are sharing after the first two weeks. That's right. Yeah. Welcome in, everyone. Happy to be back. Uh, yeah. So I think, you know, when we talk about range of outcomes every single week, we've only seen two of these possible ranges of outcomes. And uh, there's a lot more left in the bag of tricks for a lot of these teams, even the ones that we kind of written off the Vikings, first of all, uh, you know, we're already neck deep in all the stats from this year, trying to compare it to last year, but a lot of it's noise. We got to suss out the signal. Happy to have all you guys with us as always. Hit that thumbs up if you're just walking in the door. Helps us greatly, but you already knew that. Subscribe, hit the notification bell as well. If you haven't done so, uh, you'll get notifications for when we go live for everything. We'll gladly refund your misery. If you no longer want to be a subscriber, you no longer want to be a part of this, it's a very simple solution. Just click unsubscribe. But for now, give it a shot. I think you'll like it. All right, Matt, let's just dive right into this, man. We've got 13 games. We've got a whole lot to talk about. Uh, why, don't, why don't we spare the pleasantries and dive right into Vegas, New England? What do you say? No pleasantries. Let's no go. Pleasantries. Football only here. That's right, baby. All right, so uh, <laughs> Las Vegas and New England. Raiders 2-0. and I don't know why, but I'm happy about it. I, I don't get why I have this affinity for the Raiders. I have zero connection. There should be zero emotional connection to them either. No ties whatsoever. But 
Why do I want to see Gruden win? Why did I love seeing that? Did you see the inside the locker room video of the Raiders? I actually, I missed it. I watched only a replay of the game. So, oh. It's awesome. So go to go to my Twitter at Lafayette underscore D, not you specifically, Matt, but anybody, L-A-U-G-H-Y underscore D from a couple days back. Uh, Gruden did this, this amazing chant in the locker room. The whole team's going nuts after a big win after the, against the Saints. I'm here for that, Matt. I love, we need more videos so much for no pleasantries. We need more <laughs> videos post game in the locker room of coaches and teams going wild. I live for that shit. I absolutely love it. Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think to answer your question a little bit, there was, you know, we saw Gruden every week on Monday Night Football for so long. We saw Good how much point. he loved the game. And then we saw what kind of contract it took to get him out of that world-class gig. So, you know, he said something when he, he started that gig, like the football gods are calling me back or something. Like when you feel that sort of like, I don't know, spiritual connection to coaching again, like I kind of want to see it too. I felt the same way. Yeah, it was cool. And I'm oddly happy to see Derek Carr have a good game. I, I don't know what it is about this team. I'm pulling for him though. Uh, they're six point dogs heading into this road matchup at Gillette Stadium against New England and Foxborough. 47 and a half point total though. Uh, points are expected to be scored here, which is kind of interesting. The The Patriots' run defense, I think, against good teams could be problematic. Uh, the linebacking core might be a bit problematic as well. But I was a little bit surprised to see I, – I, by the way, let me just pull, pull a disclaimer here. I get it. Russell Wilson's one of the best in the league. Uh, there is no bigger Russell Wilson backer than myself, right? Like – I put him in the same tier as Lamar and, and Patrick Mahomes, if you're wondering where I think he is. As a matter of fact, uh, if, if there were two quarterbacks in this league that I'd, that I'd want on my team, Russell Wilson would be one of them. So I get it. However, this New England defense with opt-outs and such because of COVID was really supposed to be strong in the secondary. It was supposed to bolster the defense and kind of help them keep things together. Well, that wasn't the case last week. The New England Patriots against the Seattle Seahawks coughed up 275 passing yards, but a very high level of efficiency to Russell Wilson. So I, I, I do wonder, uh, what are we getting here for a team that just allowed 429 total yards in that last game against the Raiders team that moved the ball very well against uh, a pretty solid or should be solid New, uh, New Orleans Saints defense? Yeah, the Saints defense, middle of the road, as you said before, we're still expecting a lot from the New England secondary, at least, even with all these dropouts. Now, we have to contextualize things a little bit, as you said, because Russell Wilson is on fire, on freaking fire this year. Uh, all the metrics and efficiency bear that out. And not every team has a player like DK Metcalf who can basically work Stephon Gilmore one-on-one -on -one and beat him deep and beat him on short routes. So... I, I do think there's a certain amount of contextualization we have to do. At the same time, it looks like Derek Carr's offense is a lot more aggressive than we kind of thought it would be, even though they're finding ways to get Josh Jacobs involved 30 times a game. Uh, he's number one in uh, player profilers accuracy rating, and he's third in yak per target. He's setting, he's setting players like Darren Waller up for success. And uh, we can't necessarily say that these Patriots – cornerbacks uh, are shut down anymore. Gilmore is middle of the road in PFF's coverage rating. And uh, as we said, there's still a lot in the front seven we need to suss out over these next few weeks. 
Darren Waller leads the league in, in, in target share, which is incredible. Uh, 38.1% and 31.3% of the team's air yards as well, which is pretty remarkable given that he is a tight end. Uh, he's a true stud. Uh, I firmly believe that he is one of the foremost elite tight ends in the league right now. But you've got a spot against New England. Can we target anyone for the Las Vegas Raiders would be the big question here. Yeah, as you said, Waller's balling out. Tight end seven in yards per route run. Um, and he's tight end two in projections. So I think there is a part of uh, game theory we need to consider here. Because those targets are so high, because he uh, did what he did on Monday night in front of a lot of people, there's going to be some high expected ownership. And he needs 17 DK points to hit 3x. He's only done that four out of eight, his last 18 games. So while I think he's having a fantastic season, and talk about someone you root for, Darren Waller's at the top of the list, but it's going to be really hard to hit Pater with him this week. Yeah, I think so too. It's a tough team to, to get to. Uh, I will be paying very close attention to this New England defense going forward, though. Uh, I, I Last season, they were very good. But I also think it's fair to point out, and a lot of people don't like hearing this, that they had a really, really easy schedule through the first half of the season. Now, granted, they were still good, and some of the opt-outs that they had were significant. But I don't think New England's going to be a team, depending on matchup, where it's just where we just completely stay away, right? I don't, I don't think mm-hmm. New England as a matchup is going to make it a non-starter when it comes to other teams and considering them. But yeah, I have some real reservations here. Uh, I think ultimately on a 13, here's the easiest way for me to put it, um, Matt. On a 13-game slate, there are already a lot of low-owned stacks that I love, low-owned teams that I like. I'm not sure there's really any incentive to get to the Raiders here uh, from a, from an upside standpoint and, and from a contrarianism standpoint because there's, there, there's, there's plenty of other ways to do that in what I think are higher upside spots. Yeah, I would put this in the upper tier, however. If you're looking at probability of going into a shootout, getting the over on the over-under, you know, Derek Carr with the mid-tier efficiency that he's had and Cam Newton when you include his rushing efficiency, you know, we look for two quarterbacks who are playing at efficient levels to push the defenses, and basically we'll see if that's going to end up being a shootout. I put that probably fourth on the list this slate. Are, Are you buying into Cam Newton? Uh, I was doing a deep dive into him actually earlier this morning, and the bottom line is he is who we thought he was when he's healthy, and that's a mid-tier passer. He's 24th in pass attempts, 25th in deep ball attempts, 22nd in air yards per game, but he's pretty efficient with that, 8th in passing yards. The real money is with the rushing. You know, we've never seen an offense say on a goal line play to win the game that our best play is power on the goal line with our quarterback. So as I said, I think in our first matchups podcast, it's an exciting offense that's completely changed around Cam. And he's number one in carries per game, number one in red zone carries per game, number two in rush yards per game. That's where the money is. Uh, It's it's him and Lamar Jackson as these rushing Konami code quarterbacks. And I'm happy to see him back, to be honest. Josh Jacobs is actually one guy that I'm fascinated with here. Uh, you mentioned the the egregious amount of carries he's getting. He's now seen this is he's seen 31 looks in game one, 30 in, in game in week two. Uh, there, as touchdown dogs, you certainly worry about 
his 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 workload, but I'm not super concerned about it. Uh, I think the Raiders are a decent enough team in both phases of the game to where this at least stays competitive. And you know what? I get it. Cam Newton had that breakout performance or re-breakout performance in week two. I don't think he's just going to light them up to the point where they have to abandon the run. That's that's not how I personally envision this game. So uh, from an ownership standpoint, if someone were to ask me about Josh Jacobs, my, my answer would be pretty simple. Uh, he's up there at 16%. That's probably where he should be. Uh, he shouldn't be higher, shouldn't be lower. And volume is everything. Opportunity is everything. Uh, and I'm just simply not buying into the Patriots' run defense. So this will be the best run game they've faced, especially the best running back they've faced. I think Josh Jacobs will be solid, but uh, I wouldn't consider him a priority play. Uh, he's also dealing with that, that hip injury. I, I don't know if this is something we should be concerned about, but uh, yesterday, Darren Waller with a knee and Josh Jacobs with a hip were non-participants in practice. You would hope this is just precautionary coming off of a right. Monday night game. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's really hard as we record on Thursday mornings to really know how important the Wednesday DNPs are, particularly when we're talking about Monday night football. So I'm going to wait and see. Obviously, those types of injuries change the entire slate if they're not playing. So it's really hard to say uh, much about that other than we expect them to play at this point. Uh, and Josh Jacobs, actually, I, in my data deep dive that I do every Tuesday morning on Osimo, I visualize PFF's elusive rating by the two main metrics that they use. And basically the way it works out on the scatter plot is anybody, any dots that go to the top right, the very top right, are our cash game lock running backs. We have two right now that are running away with things. It's Zeke Elliott and Josh Jacobs. And part of that is his elusiveness on elite usage. Like you said, he's number one in overall evaded tackles, number two in yards created, and number 13 when you uh, use PFF's elusive rating, which is a per-touch metric. So even with all that usage, he's still 13th in these efficiency metrics. I really think the sky's the limit, and he's a, you know, I count those as a cash lock starter. So he's up there with Zeke for me. That's crazy to say, but that's where it is. Love it. On the other side of this game, Julian Edelman and Nikhil Harry both have 29% target shares uh, for the New England Patriots this season. Might be a little bit skewed because James White sat out in week two, you know, and it's been a, it's been a strange go over the first couple of weeks. For example, Demir Bird with zero looks in game one uh, was targeted nine times in game two. Strange things are going to happen. But I think we pretty much have confirmation that Edelman and Harry are going to be the go-to options here in this offense, in, in the passing game specifically. Uh, Demir Bird, however, played 86 and 86, or 88 and 86% of snaps over the first two games, 80 and 85% for Harry, and 58 and 72% for Julian Edelman. How are we attacking this passing game if we are looking to Cam Newton, if you do think this could shoot out? Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Bird. He's a perfect example of we've only seen two versions of these teams. One of them included no Jameer Bird. The other included Jameer Bird heavily involved early in on early downs as well in the passing game. One thing that really stood out to me in looking at the metrics, though, is that Julian Edelman's a different kind of player with Cam Newton. The air yards are higher than he's ever seen. That led to a, I believe, career high in receiving yards on Sunday night. He actually leads all wide receivers with five or more targets in yards per route run with over four. So not only is the usage sky high, but the efficiency on that usage is absurd. So 
one thing that I, you know, we might see increased ownership here, and there is a solid pivot play to Nikhil Harry, who's, his projection is 35th in wide receivers, but he's priced at 48th right now on DK. But Julian Edelman as this alpha wide receiver, I, I don't know, that's really intriguing. And if especially if the public isn't playing him like that, more of the slot, uh, volume slot that he used to play, then I think there might be an advantage there as well. Did you say 179 was a career high for Edelman? I believe it was. Really? I would I, not have thought that. I would have thought he'd have one game where... Hey, look, 179 yards is a lot of yards. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I would have th- I would have thought we'd have seen uh, one other game. Like I, I get remember Brady threw 500 plus yards in the Super Bowl. I would have thought, hey, maybe it'd be that. But I don't even think he cracked 100 in that one. So yeah, and you know, I, I may have been checking only regular season, so I'll give you that as well. No, no, no. I, I'm sa- I think you're right. I just I'm surprised by it. You know, I, I have no reason not to believe you. I can tell you that much. Another thing too, you mentioned yards per route one, run. How about this? Julian Edelman's average depth of target, his A dot is 12.4. Maybe I'm wrong, but if I had to guess, that's higher than years past. Oh, it's absurdly high. Yeah, there's a little bit of discrepancy right now, depending on what site you look for. But uh, an A dot of 12.4 to 14 is what I saw. That's like Stefan Diggs, Diggs level A dot. That's what we think of an alpha receiver who receives 30% of the air yards and 25% of the target share gets. That's uh, that's more value for Julian Edelman than we've seen in a long time or ever. It really is. It's impressive stuff. Anything else for this one? Uh, just a reminder that Cam Newton is the goal line running back game, and it really is a crapshoot. I mean, just just like heart gut wrenching news about James White. So you very really sad. Can't. He still isn't practicing either, and they don't know when he's returning to the team. We had a question in chat about that. Yeah. I, can't I think imagine. it's really hard to trust it, and I, you understand why. They definitely got Rex Burkhead involved in the same way they planned to use James White, it, it felt. Um, I did notice that he ran 35 routes. That's a 90% route participation rate. Uh, if he gets that kind of usage, he could have some some low-owned upside, especially if he, he scores a touchdown there with a few receptions. He had six targets as well, so I, I, that's somewhere where I might look. Not looking at Sony Michelle though. Now, I was unbelievably hungry yesterday, right? Found the Supreme pizza in, in the freezer. And I, I, could, I, I take it out of the oven. You ever see Grandma's Boy? Oh, yes, but not okay. in a long time. Well, it's one of the greatest comedies ever, one of the most underrated comedies ever. For those of you watching that haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a while, after this show, go brush up. It's fantastic. Anyway, I didn't burn my hands taking the tray out, but I was so hungry that I grabbed the cutter, cut it up, and took a, a huge bite of this pizza, scolded the entire roof of my Stop. mouth. Pizza burn. It's the worst. How are you doing the show? I, it's, uh, it feels like the skin on the roof of your mouth is peeling off of your face. It's a horrible feeling. Oh, I feel I'm a great. professional, though, Matt. We're here. Uh, we're, we're still talking. We're really, we're really proud of you. We're th- <laughs> Atlanta, Chicago, keeping this train rolling. The uh, Atlanta Falcons, three-point favorites at home, 47-point total. I wonder how much do you think home field advantage is now that there's no no one in attendance? Like, you have to account for travel, I would think, to some extent, comfortability with, with their own field. But is it worth three points still? Yeah, I actually uh, – this is me going off a tweet I saw earlier in the week, but I think I saw an NFL research stat that said that home field advantage is slightly up this year. Really, 32-game sample is pretty small, and we can't tell that much. 
I'm going to actually say it is because there's being so many precautions, stadium level precautions that might change from week to week that these uh, these extra things to think about might actually be something that we see at the end of the year bear out in the numbers. And, and I mean, I just think in terms of even even when you look at the Falcons who have disappointed in terms of quality of play, quality of efficiency, I still think when you look at quality of talent at the player level, they really do outclass the Bears. It, they do. Really I, at every I, position, particularly on offense. Agreed. By the way, I, I, I was looking over this earlier. Ten of the, in 10 of the 13 games on this slate, 10 of them are favorites. Ten, I'm sorry, 10 of the home teams are favorites. So, oh, wow. That seems like a lot for a neutral stadiums. So, you know, are not, I'm sorry, not neutral but no fans in attendance. Anyway, I digress. Let's start it off with the home team, the Atlanta Falcons. Julio Jones, questionable, apparently played through an injury, no participation in yesterday's practice, practice dealing with a hamstring, as is much of the league. Um, I think he'll play. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, he always is questionable and then generally is able to suit up, but, but we'll keep a closer watch on that. What do you make of the matchup? against Chicago that I mentioned this before the season started, they made a concerted effort to, to really drop more players back into coverage and say, you know what? Our big guys and our pass rushers will take care of that on the line and we'll do everything I can, we can to, to adapt to this, to this new style of offense, which is, you know, heavy aerial attack and less rushing. So uh, Atlanta against Chicago, how are you envisioning this going? Yeah, I think Atlanta's going to try to dictate the game flow by passing early and often. And Chicago, as you said, will try to do their best in coverage, uh, dropping back, as you said, more than, than they have in the past. That said, I, I've really underrated Matt Ryan in terms of efficiency on just truly insane volume. So, it, you know, you can't, as you always say, you can't fault a defense, a quarterback for their defensive woes. You know, Matt Ryan did not give up 40 points to the Cowboys. And ultimately, I think when I'm looking at the PFF grades, they're back to middle of the road for the Bears. I've just this is actually my first year with PFF elite grades here. And so I'm trying to work on some uh, net advantage metrics. And the Falcons are actually coming up in terms of net passing ability pretty high on my list. So it's not a defense that I'm really scared of right now. Uh, like I said, the whole game changes. Julio Jones is out. Right now, he's projected for wide receiver four on the slate, and he's priced at wide receiver four on the slate. With a hamstring injury, I'm always concerned about rostering a wide receiver that's supposed to get me 23 and a half points if I need 3x. That said, his underlying metrics are pretty much where we expect him to be. He's in the top 20 in yards per route run. He's getting separation at target. He's getting 132 air yards per game, which is absolutely fine, even though it's second on his team. Uh, it's just when that questionable tag comes out for Julio, especially in his 30s, I, I know that's a little bit emotional for me. I get worried. So do I. I will say Football Outsiders this year, and it's still very early, as we've both pointed out throughout today's show, uh, minus 14.2% advantage or I guess you could, yeah, minus 14.2% advantage for teams uh, in the passing game against Chicago thus far. Pro Football Focus has them rated ninth in coverage. Again, it's very, it's so, it's so hard to, 
the, the thing I like about these sites, Matt, is that they actually contextualize things and it's not just like yards allowed per game where, you know, a defender trips over the receiver and then he goes mm-hmm. for an 85 yard touchdown and it skews everything. Right. So you know, th- looking at that, I still personally think that this, this Chicago team is a very skilled defense, but I will say this much 47 point total is a pretty decently high total, especially given the three-point spread, meaning that both of these teams should be able to put up you know, a fair amount of points, and the Falcons still have a 25-point implied total. I'm personally not right now, um, I'm not necessarily prioritizing anybody here. Todd Gurley is not someone I'm prioritizing. It was nice to see him get 21 carries. I do think it's very possible that he sees another 20-plus touches uh, in this spot with Mitchell Trubisky on the other end, probably not manufacturing a ton of offense. But here's where I contradict myself. The Atlanta defense is... Uh, the Atlanta defense is going to have significant struggles. And I think what this could result in is Mitchell Trubisky might actually have himself a decent game. Dallas put up 570 total yards of offense on them last week. Mitch isn't Dak Prescott. I get that. Against Russell Wilson, 383 total yards. But they drove down the field. uh, They drove down the carefree drives down the field from Russell Wilson and this team. It took them absolutely no energy whatsoever to punch the ball in the end zone if you watch that. And the Falcons have now, get ready for this, they've now allowed 78 points in two games. So... That is always going to contribute to me for the potential appeal when it comes to game stacks, Matt, knowing that, hey, Atlanta's facing a tough defense, but they have one of the most high-powered offenses in the league. Let's assume Julio Jones is active. But their defense is also so shitty that this game could so easily turn into a shootout that sees 60-plus points. And, And that's why throughout everything I said in the beginning, I'm still interested because Atlanta makes for one of those great stacked teams Good offense, bad defense creates great game scripts. Oh, perfectly said. Perfectly said. And you kind of oh, caught me you. in that in that metric talk there at the beginning of your paragraph, too, where in the beginning of the season, I'm really only worried about top five, bottom five in these metrics. If you're in the middle, I kind of kind of wash that out for now because I know that the talent is going to rise to the top and the absolute worst is going to sink to the bottom. So it's it is important to see that football outsiders has this ranked as a chicago defensive advantage just slightly here but the game script calls for a situation where you know atlanta's this defense that we're going to be picking on every week until we until we see them stop anybody and the the bears at slight home underdogs you know they have a chance for a very to overperform their expectation and at that point, you have the Falcons having to return and you're hitting the over and Ridley is scoring another two touchdowns yet again. I, you can easily talk yourself into a scenario where this becomes the first or second highest scoring game on the slate. And that's important as we're making GPP lineups, especially. I agree. Now we're just going to have to uh, we're going to have to see how this Atlanta uh, team holds up injury wise as far as Julio Jones goes and, and what Chicago looks like now. I was very high on Montgomery last week. I said I took some heat for that. I like taking heat because it means that nobody's thinking about going there. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. kind of like confirmation that, hey, this could be all right. Or confirmation is, hey, Dave, you're an idiot. 
you should not you should be seeing what everyone else is seeing. Well, with David Montgomery, I think I was seeing what other people weren't seeing. And not you specifically, Matt. I'm not sure we discussed it on this show. Uh, but he got hurt, landed on his head, still had 16 carries after being out a while. Uh, he is clearly the, the go-to guy here. And uh, one thing that I pointed out throughout the week was that Tariq Cohen, despite getting that contract, he has not been involved at all. Matter of fact, Montgomery, even when he, even getting injured and missing about a quarter, he has six targets through three games. Two, two games, sorry. Tariq Cohen has three targets. So the, you are not seeing Cohen used in the same fashion that he's been used before. Can that change? I'm sure it has. And and at times, I'm sure Cohen is going to be is going to be used um, more than he has in the first two weeks. But even if you look at routes run, and this is another thing that should shock you. David Montgomery, again, despite missing time with that injury in that game, has run three fewer routes than Tariq Cohen. What I'm seeing here is, yes, Tariq Cohen's going to get some involvement going forward, but David Montgomery is rapidly this season evolving into the bell cow back that they drafted him for last season. And I think we need to pay attention to that. Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time here because you took all my notes. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I had the route Sorry, participation I'm up. Matt. No, perfect, perfect. I'm not I'm not upset at all. Yeah, he's 12th in yards per route run this year. He's got 100.5 yards from scrimmage per game right now. If he weren't on the Bears, we would be talking about him every week as one of these absolute workhorse lock him in bell cows. 14 and a half attempts, uh, three targets, like you said. And he isn't even getting the red zone work that we know will eventually be there just due to regression. Uh, he's in the top 40 in fantasy points for opportunity. I mean, he's right. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. And I'll last say that our Osmo projections have him right in line with his pricing. So he's about RB22 in the projections, and he's RB21 in pricing. Uh, an 18.3 point day gives him 3x, and that's very possible with that usage, especially in this game script. What else are you doing with Chicago? Well, I do want to say that Anthony Miller... While we've, I feel like this is our third conversation in three weeks about him, and he has caught touchdowns this year. He isn't being used nearly as much overall in the offense than he was in previous years. In fact, uh, I saw a tweet that uh, broke stats out by personnel grouping, and it looks like he's only playing when Chicago plays 11 personnel. Uh, that, that's leading to a 44% snap share and only 61% route participation Concerning. rate. It, you know, that's not a... That's not a full-time player. That's not someone we can really trust. Even we if talked I think about this last there. week. That that was the biggest concern regarding Anthony Miller once you actually looked into the numbers. So, you know, it kind of pivots me towards Allen Robinson, even though it's 
again, like we're talking about the motionality of, of trying to play Mitchell Trubisky's wide receiver one and hope that it hits for a high priced player. But he's he is projected wide receiver eight and he's priced at wide receiver 12. So there's a little bit of value there for sure. He needs like 21 points, 20.7 for three X on DK. Darnell Mooney has played more snaps than Anthony Miller this year. Like, uh, I personally think there's a talent discrepancy between Darnell Mooney and Anthony Miller, but maybe there's something that Bears know that I don't. I would think the same as you, but he's played 60 snaps to Anthony Miller's uh, 53. Javon Wims has played one fewer snap than Miller. So we'll give you guys that information to let you make your own decisions. But uh, all in all, this game does make a lot of sense on a number of levels. So I'll definitely be, be getting to this. No doubt. And it sounds like you will too, Matt. I will. Yeah. Yeah. Allen Robinson at 6,200, by the way, that's just a really good price. Uh, he is going to get ownership, but rightfully so. Let's move on. Cincinnati and Philadelphia. The Eagles opened the round six, I think, point favorites. I've, I'm seeing four and a half now against the Bengals. Uh, this game is another one that I'm pretty intrigued by. 46-point total. Carson Wentz has looked brutal through the past two weeks. And people want to make excuses about the offensive line. In week one, I'll grant you that. In week two, he was pressured only nine times. So he, he wasn't sacked once. Khalil Mack didn't get to him. So... I'm sorry, uh, Aaron Donald didn't get to him. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, uh, we were just talking about the the Bears. So it is it is a strange it is a strange spot right now for Carson Wentz. He needs to bounce back. They need to win this game uh, handily, and they have to win it convincingly. Will they? I don't know. But Miles Sanders is a stellar option, regardless. Jalen Rieger has the UCL tear because the Eagles medical staff, I swear they're making these guys get hurt on purpose. I don't know what it is. (laughs) Deshaun Jackson is second in the league in air yards, despite an inability to hook up with, with, um, with Carson Wentz. And on the other side, you know, who leads the league in air yards, AJ green, but none of his deep balls have been catchable. According to pro football focus, there's some really ugly stuff there, but apparently Joe Burrow wants to keep throwing to him. So there's a lot to talk about on both sides of this game. And if each team is going to be airing the ball out, well, I'm going to come along for the ride. Yeah, and and this might be that shootout that happens because of inefficient but volume-based play, just like you said. I think Burrow threw 61 times last week, just an absurd number. And like you mentioned, Carson Wentz, his efficiency is way down in pretty much every metric across the board from his career ranks. Either he's regressing as a player or he's dealing with some pretty bad, uh, pretty bad bounces and randomness. I'm certainly not saying he's playing his best by any means. What I am saying is we should see an eventual bounce towards his career mean in a lot of these efficiency metrics. One thing that is in his favor this week is, according to Pro Football Focus, he's fifth in net pass block advantage. That's uh, looking at the pass blocking versus the pass rush grades on pff so again he should be he should have a relatively clean pocket which means he needs to deliver against a cincinnati defense that we targeted heavily last year and still got beat up pretty badly by odell beckham and an injured jarvis landry last week on thursday so again it's really hard to trust a lot of these options in this game right now one area i may go back to well on is dallas goddard um, he's projected 
buyosimo.com at tight end nine. He's tight end 14 in price. There's a little value there. He's tight end four in overall targets right now and eighth in the true weighted opportunity metric that I put on my data deep dive. So there's a lot to like there, especially because he's still priced, of course, under Zach Ertz. Yeah. Dallas Goddard to me is, is the best tight end on this team. People don't like to hear that. I get it. Uh, and maybe it's a little hyperbolic, but how about this? Let, I, 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 may, I may be a little bit more nuanced here, Matt. Dallas Goddard, and you just talked about a lot of this, so I, I, won't, I won't spend much time on it. If we're acting like there should be a, a big price gap and there's a big talent gap now between the two in 2020, you're just, it's not true. Uh, that's that's the way I see it. Dallas Goddard is is super athletic. He's going to be out there for nearly as many snaps as as Zach Ertz. Uh, and Carson Wentz has clearly not hesitated to look his way. This is he's 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 somebody I really like this week. Um, and I think you can go back to him. There were a couple really easy missed passes that would have resulted in Dallas Goddard touchdowns as well last time out, but didn't happen. So yeah, we'll see what happens. I um. I think the Eagles have to put up big offensive numbers here. Miles Sanders is going to be extremely popular, currently at 37% projected ownership, highest on the slate by five full percent. Uh, and then the tight ends who are going to be on the field a ton with Rieger out, it's just going to open things up, not open things up a little more or more, but create more opportunities for them. Uh, and I think for Deshaun Jackson as well. So as much yeah. as I hate this Eagles offense right now, I'm going to have to go back to the well. And I'm going to have to run it back with, with quite a bit of A.J. Green, despite how people feel about that. Here's why. Uh, right uh, Thursday morning, right, as we do this show, right, maybe you're watching a replay and you're not sure what they were doing. A.J. Green is projected for 1.2% ownership. Basically, this entire Cincinnati team is projected to get no ownership whatsoever, yet Philadelphia is going to be very popular. If that ends up being the case, I think one way to be different is to stack Cincy and then run it back with Sanders or run it back with Goddard. I might even not be opposed to running some of these lineups back with Sanders and Dallas Goddard. Uh, it could end up being a shootout here. And if it is, I don't want to just ignore the Cincinnati side against the Philadelphia defense that's been that was gutted in the second half by a bad Washington offense and then carved apart in both phases of the defense by the L.A. Rams. Yeah, I think that's well said there. And, you know, based on uh, the game script that we saw, especially in the second half on Thursday night with the Bengals versus the uh, the Bengals-Browns game, they are letting Joe Burrow work out his early career kinks in these late-game situations. You're not, you're not getting these... 60 pass games from a quarterback that they don't want to see more reps from so even if this game gets out of hand for the eagles and as an eagles fan i'm sure you'd love that uh for an easy second half that you could uh breathe through for once won't happen the, but yeah, I like that. <laughs> you probably are going to see joe burrow in a ferocious comeback mode just so he can get his reps in so that's great for aj green if they can connect particularly on those deep shots Tyler Boyd, we do have to mention that he's being used almost exclusively in the slot this year. He's 81% slot rate, is 15th highest in the league. Uh, he leads in raw slot snaps due to the Bengals, uh, the Bengals' overall aggressiveness and fast-paced nature if you include all game scripts. 
And then after that, it was CJ Uzoma, who they just lost for the year. So we might even see increased numbers there. And certainly you won't see ownership. Uh, one thing I did want to add about the Eagles offense as we just circle back for one second, Deshaun Jackson is probably going to be the likely choice by many as the person who gets Jalen Rager's volume. And I want to talk about either Greg Ward or John Hightower being off-the-wall options other than those tight ends who might gobble up just a little bit and be able to hit Pater with these uh, with these with the roles that they already have, plus a little bit more from Rager. Greg Ward only needs 14 points for 3X. John Hightower needs 13.5, and I'm sure he'll be well under 0.5% owned. Okay, good stuff. Talking about New York Giants and San Francisco 49ers, I don't imagine we'll spend a ton of time here, but we're going to touch them all. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers coming into this one as four and a half point road favorites, 41 point total. Uh, just not a terribly fascinating game for many levels. I went out and I bid a lot on Devontae Freeman. People on Twitter, some of them like it. Some of them think I'm crazy. Uh, I'm hearing now after bidding, after landing him on my team, that this could be Devontae Freeman's backfield. And well, guess what? Wouldn't surprise me at all. Wayne Gallman's not very good, and Deion Lewis is good for one thing only, and that's being used out of the backfield, but Freeman can do both. I still have no interest in – is he even in the player pool? He's not, right? I don't even think uh, he's in the player pool. Yeah, let me check no, here. He's not. That makes sense. Yeah, he's not even in the player pool. Uh, but I think the point I'm getting at is I do believe he is going to have a, a role. And everyone said, well, he's coming in cold. He's coming in off the couch. First of all, you don't know. I'm sure the guy's been working out. I doubt he's just been eating nachos. Uh, and plus, everyone's getting hurt. What I am saying is I think this backfield for week for week three needs to be completely steered clear of until we get some idea of what's going on, especially because despite the injuries to their defense, San Francisco is still going to slow down the New York Giants. So I don't really think I want to take a risk there. Um I don't know. What an, what an ugly spot, Matt. Sterling Shepard hit the IR. Debo Samuels on the IR on the other end. Saquon Barkley's out. Raheem Mostert's out. Tevin Coleman's not going to play either. So it comes down to guys like Gallman and Lewis and, and, and Jeff Wilson and Jarek McKinnon. Uh, and, and hopefully George Kittle returns. I think he will. But, man, what a mess this game is. Yeah, and if Jimmy G doesn't play either, as it, as it looks Jimmy like Jimmy G, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there are so many fundamental reasons why you want to stay away from this game. Low over under, uh, different different quarterbacks starting, unsure backfields, wide receiver target share, shares that we can't project very easily. It's, it, it's a mess. It's just simply a mess. And I think one area you could go if you wanted to focus on this game is Daniel Jones. The pace of play is a little bit higher. They're number five in team pass plays per game. He's number 10 in red zone attempts. He's got an 83% clean pocket completion percentage, which isn't bad. Uh, and, and, you know, he's middle of the road in air yards per game. So that's enough volume to be a professional DFS quarterback. But there really isn't anything that I like to see in terms of net advantage. The San Francisco 49ers defense, though decimated, is still one that I would give advantage to over the Giants offense. And, you know, it's kind of a shame for Deion Lewis. I actually bid in him in a season-long league, just a $4 opportunities and a 91% snap share. One week might not give us enough, right? It might be, they might ease Freeman into this. Here's the way I looked at it, though, just from a, a, a very quickly, then we can move on. I'll let you close this game out because we got some other things to talk about. 
the way I see it is I got a lot of questions. Lafi, would you rather would you rather grab Mike Davis? Would you rather grab Jarek McKinnon? By the way, follow me on Twitter, L-O-U-G-H-Y underscore D. I'm always happy to talk, answer questions. My DMs are even open. What a guy, right? Fala Matt at Draftaholic as well. Gotta get those, we gotta get those numbers up for you, Matt. Yes, My sir. Goal is yes, sir. Up over a thousand uh by the end of the year. Maybe we could do it in a few weeks. We'll set some goals here. But I like it. Aim high. But Matt doesn't even follow me on Twitter, by the way. So I don't know why. Oh, that's a shame. Oh, that's I, don't, a shame. I don't know what's going it's on. It's happening. Uh, but anyway, the, the whole idea here is what is the what is the incentive to getting Mike Davis and someone like Jarek McKinnon that are probably only going to be in there for a couple of weeks and who knows. Devontae Freeman, the, the appeal to me was maybe he sucks, but with Barkley out for the year, it's possible that this backfield actually becomes his. So just – you know, Matt, a strategy, thought process type of thing. I think the risk is worth the reward, even if he sucks, even if he isn't the starter. They are decimated without Barkley, and it's going to open some things up. But anyway, uh, back to the game at hand. Any other thoughts on San Francisco or the New York Giants? Yeah, I think we should say a few lines about Nick Mullins just to remind people that he basically played a full season in 2018. And, and looking at some of the efficiency metrics that I use in my data deep dive, in 2018, he was slightly better than league average at converting drives into scores. He was slightly better than league average in expected points added per drive. You know, if you think of the 2018 season, he was in line with middle-of-the-road quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield's rookie year, Cam Newton. Um, we tend to classify those quarterbacks as aggressive, slightly inaccurate, with some rushing upside, more so Newton than Mayfield. Um and, you know, QBs have an easier time passing in positive game scripts, and they're favored here. So it's possible that Nick Mullins actually gets a slightly efficient offense off the ground, especially if George Kittle is healthy. I do expect a lot of Jarek McKinnon. Uh, we know that if he's fully healthy, which he may really never be again, he's really a 100th percentile spark athlete. That's exactly the type of player that Kyle Culture, uh, he In weeks two and three last year, he had 18 touches and four touchdowns and then for the rest of the season he had 12 touches and one touchdown but we may see him uh, in this game based on game script all right matt pittsburgh and houston here we go another one that well you know what let's start with pittsburgh the uh pittsburgh steelers are favored by four points at home one of 10 home favorites in this uh slate 45 point total what can we say about Deontay Johnson that hasn't already been said? He's been uh, very impressive. His upside right now in terms of quality of targets is the best on the team. Now, you look at even, say, receiving routes run. Okay. He's run five less than Juju Smith-Schuster. But the opportunities that he's getting, I personally am a lot more in favor of. I don't know where you stand on this. This isn't to say that Juju's not going to have some big games because I believe he is. Um, but Juju Smith-Schuster's dot is 4.3 this season. Like you said, you'll get some conflicting numbers on that depending on where you're looking, but we can agree on one thing. It's it's not that great. Uh, air yards, 60 to 176. Juju 60, uh, Johnson 176. He is questionable, but we can dive into that a little bit more. Uh, and target share, 19 for Juju to 33% for Johnson, who has 38% of the team's air yards and only 13% for Juju. Uh, listen, 
that isn't an indictment on Juju Smith-Schuster as a talent, but it is problematic when you think about how both of these guys are being used, for sure. Yeah, I think what we're really saying is that the perception is still that Juju is the wide receiver one, but the metrics so far this year bear out that Deontay Johnson is the wide receiver Correct. one. Correct. Yep. So while, while that public perception is still shifting, we can take advantage of that in DFS. You know, it's sometimes easy just to look at the raw targets. Deontay Johnson has 21 raw targets through two games. That's an absurd number. He has seven more than Juju Smith-Schuster, and he's top 25 in with all that usage in yards per route run. So one other thing we we need to mention as well is that Juju Smith-Schuster won the team MVP award that created the drama for Antonio Brown and created the whole 2019 storyline by being an elite number two wide receiver. We've already seen him put up huge efficiency numbers being the number two in volume on this team. So maybe it's just a, a comfortable spot for him with this low A dot, more slot opportunities, and especially for Ben Roethlisberger, who's probably still working back his arm strength to full health, I think it's really a perfect situation for both players. One thing to add, Deontay Johnson's adding adding yards, and uh, he had a huge punt return that got called back. Uh, he would have had an even bigger day in yards for sc- yards from scrimmage there. So there's just a lot to like. It looks like the Steelers' offense has efficiency numbers, not ball. Boston team has done in um, in slot coverage, uh, and, it, and it appears that they've been okay. Now, it's still so early, and you've got to – the problem with two weeks, Matt, is that you're going to look at some of these stats, and there are just going to be teams that uh, – say they face two teams that really don't utilize slot guys as much. They, they might go to their outside receivers more because they're better and they can beat them. So I, I try not to I try not to read too much into all of this stuff, but you know it, it never hurts to take a look. But yeah, like Bradley Roby's only seen two targets. There's there's not much to glean from this. I pr- I like to look some of that up because Juju Smith-Schuster in a slot in the slot in a very good matchup can exploit it for sure. What do you make of Houston's uh, pass coverage though? They've 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 been. They've, they've struggled in two spots against two very good teams. Now they face someone in Roethlisberger who has looked fine, but not in the elite level of Lamar Jackson and, and Patrick Mahomes. Right. And what a tough schedule break for the Texans. My goodness. Chiefs, Ravens, and then they got to go to face the Steelers, who at least on defense are absolutely at a playoff level and the offense is getting right back there. Yeah, so if you look at net passing advantage, which is the passing grade of the defense versus the passing grade of the offense, the Steelers have the fourth highest advantage on the week. So we're seeing the same things uh, in this regard here. It looks like Houston might have an exploitable defense, but it's kind of hard to suss that out with just 2020 numbers, again, because they played the Chiefs and Ravens. So it is going to Uh, It isn't going to be easy by any means, but it is going to be a little bit of a regression in terms of talent that they're seeing on the other side of the ball. Uh, And again, it's one that we don't want to take these defensive metrics too seriously, and we want to focus on the volume that we've seen, especially the target share, air yard share, metrics like that. Any interest in James Conner coming back with a strong 16 attempt, 106 yard, one touchdown performance last week against Denver when many thought that he would be out they splurged on Benny Snell, and look at what happened. Credit Mike Tomlin, though. 
Everyone saw James Conner. Now he's now it's going to be a split back backfield uh, and everything. When he said that Conner would be the bell cow back coming into the season, he made him the bell cow back last week, which was encouraging if you're a Conner owner. But uh, from a DFS standpoint, are you are, are we assuming that James Conner is that guy and is he worth paying for this week? Yeah, you need to be comfortable with him uh, tweaking his ankle in the first quarter and leaving the game for good. But <laughs> assuming health. He has the bell cow volume, a bell cow role, and we just talked about this is an efficient offense in a favored game script. So fundamentally, we're absolutely looking at this running back. I'm um, looking at the awesome projections, and his projection is a little bit higher than his current pricing. He's ninth in running backs, and his price is the 11th highest. Still needs a monster game, about 21 and a half points for 3x. But, you know, the Steelers scoring four touchdowns, absolutely not out of the question. Him nabbing two of them could absolutely go for him 2.9 percent ownership right now is what appeals to me uh you know I, I i'm sure people will come on and watch this show might be relatively new to dfs or at least the, the specific process and say why are we talking about james connor when there are so many other good running backs because a lot of those really good running backs uh are going to be very popular uh, and and as we've seen aaron jones last week he wasn't he wasn't not popular but he also wasn't chalky uh, ended up being the the key piece so when a team is a favorite by four or five points and the starting running back who saw 16 carries last game and night and 18 looks with upside for more yeah you at least have to talk about him what about houston anything here against a very good pittsburgh defense yeah so Pittsburgh is number one in PFF's pass rush grade. Their their pass rush is just ferocious, and especially with the injuries to the San Francisco defensive line, you can make an argument that they're going to run away with this best defensive front in the league. And they are number five in PFF's rush defense grade. So I think it's going to be a tough sledding day for David Johnson. That said, I'm interested to see what Deshaun Watson can pull off because the grades are not nearly as good on the coverage side. They're 25th in pass coverage grade, 28th in tackling grade, which means that they can get Will Fuller, who hopefully is playing, and Brandon Cooks, who hopefully is healthy, in space. You know, maybe they can make some things happen, get this over. It's over under, I think it's at 45 or 45 and a half at this point. Um, you know, if we look at shootout potential, it's kind of in the middle right now. But if there's any two quarterbacks who could push us there, it's probably Watson and Roethlisberger. All right. So top plays from this game. I mean, you still have to look at Will Fuller at, not listed on Wednesday's injury report. That's really encouraging. Um, he's eight for 11 on his targets this year, which isn't spectacular. Wide receiver 32 in yards per route run. We do like to see him in the top 30 of air yard share. He's at 28%. But um, right now he's 59th in target share. So I'd like to see that increase. Part of that is because he didn't play all of week two. Or, or he left the game early. Brandon Cooks in his stead had a huge game. He has 12 targets and is now sitting at 1.92 yards per route run. That's wide receiver 31. Uh, I'm not sure I'm looking here, but I may have a few pieces. Cooks needs 17 for 3X at 5.7K. That's somewhere I might look, particularly if Fuller gets the questionable tag. I really don't trust that guy when he has a questionable tag, especially related to lower body injuries. For those of you that are just tuning in, hit that thumbs up. It helps us greatly. If you're uh, on mobile, you can click out of chat for a minute, 
hit the thumbs up and go back to what you were doing. It's greatly, greatly, greatly helping us get this to more people uh, and, and really combat that YouTube algorithm for sure. Uh, so we can keep doing free content here at youtube.com at awesome. Uh, hit subscribe, hit the notification bell as well. And by the way, our express package, we thought it was a little bit light. It's a $3.95 per week package or pass. We decided it was a little bit light and came to the conclusion that we were going to now include all of our NFL showdown content in the express package. So all of the showdown projections for every showdown slate every week, uh, all of the ownership projections, the top uh, plays tool, the, the rankings tool, all of that is included on top of what was already in the past for $3.95 a week. $3.95, you get everything for showdown. Yes, there is an edge to showdown. Most people will tell you there isn't. Look at people who win it consistently, right? Look at Alex Baker, who has had uh, solid success with showdown slates. There is a way to have success with showdowns. And, well, you can start by checking out the ownership, the projections, piecing all of that together, using that to put together really solid lineups for yourself because all of the tools that we have on the site are used by Alex Baker, were developed by Alex Baker, and he's the number one ranked DFS player in the world. So he probably knows what he's doing. He's doing something right. And those are the same tools that we have access to on the site to win money and, more importantly, become better players and understand how, in 2020, how the game has to be played to win. It's so much different than it once was. But, yeah, 395 a week for that Express Pass, all of the showdown content. If you're looking for more, if you want PGA and NBA and MLB uh, and, and NHL and everything else that we have uh, at this time of the season or at any point of the year, we have the all-access weekly, all-access monthly, all-access annual you can check the pricing out at awesomeo.com slash join. We have something to fit everybody's budget. So go to awesomeo.com slash join. And when you do decide to sign up, join our premium Slack chat. We got people talking from the community, uh, DFS, sports betting, everything all around the clock. It's a good community there. You'll be, you'll be welcomed to the family quite quickly. So go to awesomeo.com slash join. Check it out. And remember, that Express Pass, uh, brand new, all of the showdown editions. All right, Matt. Let's talk about the New York Jets and the Indianapolis Colts. The New York Jets are decimated by injuries. Adam Gase just reported that Jamison Crowder is once again doubtful to play. They're 11-point dogs against the Colts, 44-point total. And mind you, the Colts just lost Malik Hooker. They just lost Paris Campbell, and they're still 11-point favorites. So uh, this game could get ugly pretty quickly. The one thing we know for sure is that Jonathan Taylor is the new bell cow back in Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah, 26 carries, got that 100-yard bonus on DK uh, right at the end there, 101 yards. Uh, and in an, a game where he's super heavily favored, you got to expect high ownership. You got to expect him to get the rock a lot. Now, again, feel like a broken record a little bit, but we talk about these teams only showing us two of their cards so far this year. And one of the players that they showed us two really different looks is Naheem Hines. So Naheem Hines looked in week one to be this gadget player they were even using him in the red zone i believe at eight targets and then all of a sudden he goes down to just one target he was barely used at all now part of that is because of game script and they were just basically trying to run the clock down on a minnesota team that was inefficient on defense not stopping them and not able to string drives together on offense so i expect Hines to sort of come out in the middle here 
that said, I, this is a this is a game script that might just be ugly all around. It might I I actually think I might hit the under here in terms of total points, and I'm really underwhelmed with the receiving options, especially now that Paris Campbell is gone for the Colts probably for the year. At least he's out indefinitely. He's and T.Y. Hilton just kind of looks like a shell of himself. He's at a 20% target share. That's wide receiver 35. And a 39% air yard share. That's wide receiver 9. But he's really not making any use of it. So I'm really concerned about that passing game. And against better teams than the Jets, I think it's really concerning going forward. It's concerning for me, too. And I want nothing to do with the Jets at all. Uh, Perriman was someone last week that I was willing to at least take a look at. And... At this point, him being out, Le'Veon Bell on the IR, Jamison Crowder doubt. Everybody's hurt. Everybody's hurt. This team was already bad offensively. Now they have absolutely nothing to work with. I mean, you're talking about Braxton Berrios. I'm good, man. Uh, I'm good. Outside of that, Jonathan Taylor, sure. You're going to have to pay a little bit for him at $7,000. But uh, the the problem I have with the passing game in this one is, is very simple. I don't, I don't think they're going to have to pass. And sure, there will be instances where they do, and hopefully they're efficient. Jonathan Taylor is at, what, 16% ownership. I still like him there. The rest of this Colts team is coming in at Hilton 7%. Colts defense only 4%, likely because of that very high price point. Michael Pittman at 3.6. Jack Doyle, if he plays at 2.9. Phillip Rivers at 2.2. Maybe that would be some incentive to play them, but it would be strictly an ownership play here um, only because I don't know how often they're going to need to pass. If they do and if they just route the New York Jets, that's going to be great. But there isn't a single scenario. Maybe you disagree, Matt, where I want to run this as a game stack. Only to be incredibly contrarian. I will say that looking at the projections versus pricing for Osimo.com, I, I noticed that Michael Pittman is projected around wide receiver 40 while priced around wide receiver 60 and we've touched on it already jonathan taylor in this fundamentally great smash spot he's projected at running back five while price still at running back 15 as a mid-tier wide uh, running back two excuse me so again we can talk ourselves into a couple of scenarios where the colts pass maybe to get these new weapons involved a little bit more working in zach pascal who uh, had 68% of snaps and a 10% target share. That's really nothing to write home about. Uh, it really would be to get the new offense, uh, the new offensive look going. We should definitely mention Mo Cox, who had a great day last Sunday. He's right now the tight end one in yards per route run with 3.85. He's still underpriced at 5K, so he only needs 15 points. Uh, but that said, it does look like the Osmo projections are kind of fading that right now. He's down at tight end 32 while priced up to tight end 18. So what I meant by no interest in a game stack is who the hell do I run it back with on the other mm. end? Oh, I, well, I right. will definitely say that I... Herndon's the only guy. Yeah. Who else other than Herndon? Yeah, you don't find me usually having to look up the target share leader and be like, who is this guy? But that's exactly what I had to make sure to do with Braxton Berrios. Just to remind everyone, he's a 25th, 25-year-old. He's a late six-rounder originally in the New England organization. And he's comparable to a slots receiver like Ryan Switzer, who used to play for uh, the Steelers. Excuse me there. 
Um, and he had the highest air yards on a team in comeback mode in the second half, but he only had 59 receiving yards on 29 routes. Uh, that's good enough for wide receiver 11 and yards per route run. I mean, that's nothing to scoff at, and I'm sure the ownership is just in the pits. So if you wanted to get really bold, run it with Barrios. I'm not touching Chris Herndon. He's not being used enough. 64% snap share, 27th among tight ends and routes per game. He was a, a season-long darling late in drafts. It's just not happening. If I had to run it with anyone, it would be Barrios for the very simple reason that I, I don't trust Chris Herndon to be able to rack up yards. He's going to be entirely touchdown dependent. And uh, how often is this team getting into the red zone? That's a big concern of mine. So I don't disagree with your with your point on, on Braxton Barrios in that if you had to go somewhere, he's the guy. But they have a 16.5-point team total. Uh, it's, it's pretty ugly. But I do want to get pieces of this Colts offense for sure. Uh, let's talk about the Tennessee Titans and Minnesota Vikings. So last week, Derrick Henry was disappointing. Many would have considered him a, a locked-in guy to give you much better numbers than that. He was just efficient and found ways to punch it into the end zone without relying on Derrick Henry. That won't be the case every single week uh, at all. Derrick Henry's uh, now he's run like 18 or 17 routes per game. That's not terrible. The the Tennessee Titans are facing a Minnesota defense that is not good. Uh, I don't have any faith in them on the ground or through the air, uh, specifically with so much turnover and the injuries that they've suffered as well. There are a lot of problems with this Minnesota defense. So I'm looking at a bounce back spot for Derrick Henry here. I have a decent amount of confidence. Pro Football Focus has uh, the Minnesota Vikings ranked 31st in run defense grade ahead of only the Carolina Panthers. Uh, And in pass coverage, it's a 47, which ranks them at 27 in the league out of 32. I think Minnesota is going to be a team to target against quite often this this year. Uh, And I'm not afraid to get back to Derrick Henry at a sub 8K price point. Although I certainly wish, Matt, that he had a little bit of receiving upside to get us through those tough games on the ground. Right, right. We're only seeing 2.5 targets per game. That's 32nd in the NFL. Nothing to write home about. But still, he's got a 91% opportunity share. That's second in the league. And he's first in carries, as we mentioned. We would like to see him evading more tackles. That's one thing that when I graphed out the elusiveness metric, it does look like he's still in the historical trend line, but he's not exceeding it like players like Josh Jacobs and Ezekiel Elliott are doing on the same exact level of usage. That said, we're going back to the well here because of the Minnesota Vikings. They grade out in every efficiency metric that I really care about as one of the bottom five teams, both in pass efficiency defense and pass and rush efficiency defense. If you look at PFF grades, as you mentioned, the Tennessee Titans are number one in net passing advantage. That means their offensive grades are highest compared to the defensive grades of the Vikings, which leads me to a great second half for Mr. Derrick Henry. So uh, I think one way you could try to run uh, run this game is maybe play Derrick Henry and then a receiver like Thielen from the Vikings if you wanted to get a game stack going on here. But it's hard to trust Kirk Cousins after an incredibly inefficient day, even though he's third in air yards per attempt. Uh, It's just, you know, home favorite, or excuse me, a favorite for Tennessee and huge usage leads you first and foremost to Derrick Henry, especially with A.J. Brown looking like he's out again this week. Yeah, I really still feel 
compelled to get back to some Derrick Henry here. It's only a matter of time before he, if the guy's going to touch the ball that much, by the way, credit the Jacksonville Jaguars for two games now. They've limited the ground attack quite well. Indianapolis Colts pass catching. Our backs had a very solid numbers catching the football, but on the ground, uh, the, the, they managed to limit him. So going into this matchup, I, I think he's going to get a lot more opportunity. What about the Tennessee Titans passing game with Janu Smith coming off a two-touchdown performance? Mind you, he caught four or five targets, so it was very efficient, but we have to at least consider what we were working with here. Uh, he's ran only 20 or 43 routes in two games. So, yeah, that's, that's not bad. He leads the team in yards per route run at 2.79. Uh, and he's hauled in eight of 12 receptions or eight of 12 targets. But, you know, if the volume dries up in the passing game for Tannehill, Janu Smith probably isn't going to be able to justify a 5K plus price point. So that's where I'm at on him. Uh, and as Corey Davis price continues to rise, I'm not opposed to it. I really think this Minnesota pass coverage, the co pass coverage for Minnesota is going to struggle mightily. So I'll get some sprinkles of him in there. But, like, outside of that, you're talking Adam Humphreys, who, unless he scores, which he rarely will, he did last week, but unless he scores, it's probably not going to get you where you need to go. There's a lot of question marks in this Tennessee passing game. Yeah, well said. It It is a situation where Jonu Smith, the player, is incredibly talented. You can see it on the field, and his athleticism metrics are off the charts for tight end. But the efficiency metrics just scream regression. He, he is tight end two in yards per route run, tight end five in yards per reception. But he's got three red zone targets and he has three TDs and it, that's not going to continue that way. So as you said, he's not a volume reliant player. He's an efficiency reliant player. Could that efficiency stay up this week? Yeah. For a talented athletic player, absolutely against a bad defense. But if you're betting on volume, you're looking first at Corey Davis, who's wide receiver eight in yards per route run, which, by the way, most people consider that an efficiency metric. I more see it as a volume metric. It has to do with your usage and the amount of times you get the ball in terms of air yards, because then you, I don't want to get into the metrics conversation, but it is more of a usage stat for me. The raw targets aren't really there though. He only has 13 targets over two games. Adam Humphreys has the same amount. Uh, we are seeing a solid amount of air yards over 30%. That's in the top 40 among I think that he can beat one-on-one. -on -one. I'm going to have some Corey Davis this week. I may sprinkle in Adam Humphreys, though, because looking at just the air yard share, which is tough, man. If you're wondering, by the way, whether or not Derrick Henry will see some positive touchdown regression, he leads the league in attempts inside the 20-yard line with 13 in two games, and he's seen 93% of the team's rushing attempts inside the 20. My guess is the other ones are probably from Tannehill, so... And Jonu Smith does run the ball a little bit. Who? Jonu Smith. He does have a few rushing touches over the last weeks of 19, 2019 and I believe in week one. It looks like, as a matter of fact, it looked like it, well, inside the 20, it looked like it was uh, Jeremy McNichols has won. So 14 oh. carries inside the – but you know what? They might only be including – running no 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 it's not it's including everyone it, nevertheless th there's going to be a ton of opportunity there that's all that matters correct talk to me about the minnesota vikings matt well i mean 
the positive is that if you're looking at metrics like air yard share, target share, or weighted opportunity rating that combines both of them, Adam Thielen looks fantastic in these metrics. He's number one in the entire NFL. He's one of five players with six plus deep targets. He's got three catches on those deep targets. That's tied for first. And the other three were actually deemed uncatchable. So there's a lot to like in terms of volume and usage there. I think if you wanted to pay up for a wide receiver in cash games, which is not something I'm typically doing, you know, you could go there. The problem really is his quarterback right now. He's he's QB 19 in Osimo's projections while QB 17 in price. He's 30th in pass yards per game, 31st in pass plays per game. This is an incredibly conservative offense. If you look at neutral down early pass rates, it's towards the bottom of the league, bottom five. And it's a shame because he does throw deep often. He's number three in air yards per attempt, as I mentioned. But it's hard to trust the quarterback who's 32nd in DK fantasy points so far this season. It's only 32 teams. (laughs) Yeah, that's an interesting number. So we'll move on with this. You obviously know I really like Derrick Henry this week. Uh, Kirk Cousins has been brutal. And I don't know necessarily if we're going to see uh, this turnaround. I'm assuming we will at some point. He can't be as bad as he was last game. But if if you're stacking this game, what is your desired approach? If I'm going for a stack here, I <laughs> I wonder if I might get a little Dalvin Cook in there somehow just to say that he's going to have this floor in the receiving game and assuming that if they do get towards the goal line, they're going to focus on him even in a losing game script. It's tough here, though, because, again, I really, I, I really can't trust Kirk Cousins at the level he's playing with, at the level he's playing at right now, which makes stacking Vikings with him even tougher. Ola B.C. Johnson really does not have enough volume, nor does Justin Jefferson, to warrant DFS consideration. They're kind of off-the-wall plays because they only need about 14 points to hit. That's one big touchdown catch and a couple other pieces there. Again, we're trying to get to Derrick Henry. And again, like I said, I will go a little bit of Tannehill and Corey Davis as well. All right. Matt, let's keep going here. It's Washington. It's Cleveland. Here's a fun one for you. I can't tell you the relief I felt when Baker Mayfield hooked up with Odell Beckham on that deep touchdown. Really needed that because I I liked Odell Beckham a lot coming into the year. Uh, It appears that I could be wrong, but at least, at least he showed some sign of life in that matchup against the bad Cincinnati defense. The Cleveland Browns are seven and a half point favorites. You've got a 45 point total. (sighs) So Nick Chubb is sub 7K. He's coming off a 22-attempt game in one where they were playing with the lead. Kareem Hunt, you look at the numbers, he had a really solid fantasy output, but he also averaged 8.6 yards per attempt and just carved up Cincinnati in the latter half of that game. Ultimately, what's important here is Nick Chubb saw a ton of opportunities on the ground. Do, Do you go back to Chubb, and what are you doing with this Cleveland offense? Well, it wouldn't be crazy to go back to Chubb, favored by five points, and assuming a second half where they might be running out the clock, it still looks like Chubbs has elite efficiency metrics. He's number one in yards created, number one in breakaway runs. These are stats that he dominated last year as well. And he's way above the historical trend line if you look at avoided tackles per touch. 
so is Kareem Hunt. So it's not just the yards per carry that's a very that has a lot of variance in the metric. This uh, the elusive rating is there for Kareem Hunt, and honestly, I might be going back to the well with Hunt before I go back to the well with Chubb in this game. The underlying metrics are just as good as we've always seen from Kareem Hunt, even when he was back with the Chiefs. And his projection is a little bit rosier compared to his pricing on awesomeo.com this week. It looks like Chubb is at RB13 in the projection, but 6th in price, while Hunt is 19th in projection and 20th in price. So that's actually where I lean first in this game, especially with Washington, who just, they can't pass the ball, which is so... It's the only important thing in the modern NFL. Haskins seems really overwhelmed in the pocket still. Even even if you look at the week one game where he overperformed his expectation, there were a lot of positive game scripts. They turned the ball over. The defense turned the ball over and gave him short fields. So I certainly don't trust him to get the points needed to get the over on this game, which leads me to Brown's running backs finishing this out. Nick Chubb's ownership is outrageous right now. 0.2%. 0.2%. It won't be that low. It can't. Wow. But it it yeah. can't be. But even if Nick Chubb comes in at 5%, I like him here. Look, there are a few things to consider. One, he's still the bell cow back here. He's still going to get immense opportunity in games where they're favored. And look, many things can happen. It, many things can happen in football. That's why, that's what makes it great. There's a ton of parity, right? I-T-Y, not O-D-Y. And the level of parity will result in teams like the San Francisco 49ers going to the Super Bowl after a dreadful season the previous year and really good teams being terrible the next season. There aren't many avenues that Washington can go up early on this Cleveland team. It's very difficult for me to see that. Like Terry McLaurin would be the one example of somebody who has been stellar and all of the hype surrounding him coming into this season is the real deal. I buy into him 100%. I think we all do. But I don't know, Matt. Ultimately, it's going to be very difficult to get anything going through the air on the ground with Peyton Barber, Antonio Gibson. These are things that are very much concerning. I don't think there's going to be a lot of opportunity to to make it happen. And as a result, Nick Chubb should be able to put up as many opportunities as he can. Uh, Terry McLaurin, when you look at some of these numbers, he's been wildly successful, and I expect him to still be, and I love him as a runback option. I said last week, don't. Logan Thomas got targeted. I get it. But if you want the guy that can really blow the roof off of a lineup or, or, or off of a contest, go with Terry McLaurin, right? He, he leads all receivers in yards after the catch this year. He's doing so many things well. And Dwayne Haskins is going to keep peppering him with targets. And they're going to keep playing from behind. So uh, for me, Nick Chubb is my guy. If he's getting around less than 1% ownership, you need to get some Nick Chubb. Uh, and you don't even have to game stack this. But in the event that you do and you wanted to go to the air, you don't even need to, though, because the run game is so low owned right now. You're not being different. You're not creating leverage. I still like Terry McLaurin coming back. Uh, He has the speed, and he's a good enough route runner to beat any coverage. That's all I have for this game, though, Matt. Yeah, I agree with you on a lot of points. I will say that I'm I'm not afraid to run it back with Logan Thomas. The underlying metrics are really strong for him. He's tight end seven in terms of total routes run, tight end three in raw targets. You know, the tight end three in raw targets is somebody I'm going to look, especially at a low price, 
uh, every week. So right now he's still priced at tight end 22. The projections for awesomeo.com have him at tight end 13. He only needs 14 and a half points for 3x. But like you said, I think this is a great way to put it. If you talk about scenarios that a player doesn't go 3x but goes 5x, gets five times their salary, McLaurin, you can tell the story about him breaking a few tackles, breaking off some huge runs, possibly getting in the end zone once or twice. That's your run back option, particularly in GPP, big tournaments there. One thing I wanted to add about the Browns, we've been talking about Nick Chubb over and over. It's clearly somebody we both gravitated to on the slate. It looked like that game, they were getting him in advantageous situations. It looked, at least on film, like they were getting light fronts and base fronts that's six or less in the box a lot of the time. And lo and behold, I was looking at some of the underlying metrics there. 88% of his carries this year have been at light fronts or base fronts. That means he's not seeing eight in the box. On those carries, he has 6.5 yards per carry. By the way, at Georgia, he had 6.7 yards per carry. So it's college Nick Chubb when you don't have a stacked base, uh, stacked front, excuse me. Are they really that worried about Baker Mayfield? Uh, it appears that Beckham is at least commanding the kind of respect that we're used to seeing in coverage at Landry underneath, as well as Austin Hooper, who hasn't seen it on the stat sheet. But I wonder if you talk about, I know in basketball, you talk about gravity all the time. I wonder if it's just enough to pull those backers out and give room to the running game. It's definitely possible. And look, I, a lot of people have disagreed with, not a lot, a few people have disagreed. People I respect, the, the whole Logan Thomas thing, the run back. It's not as much that I don't like Logan Thomas. It's I, I'm I'm hesitant a lot of times to run it back if I'm doing a stack and my single run back option is a tight end, only because, like you said, the underlying metrics are good. The targets have been there. All of that stuff stacks up. For me, it's just Terry McLaurin is one of those guys that can they can make that that difference that puts you at the top of tournaments. So um, that that's where I come in on him. I think we've covered this game pretty solid here, and we will move on to the next one. What do we have on the docket? Uh, L.A. Rams and Buffalo Bills. Said yesterday with Kyle Dvorak and Matt Kajewski, this is one of my favorite low-owned stack games right now. Stefan Diggs has been brilliant. He is producing in, in, in all, all relevant categories. Air yards, you've got Stefan Diggs in the top five or six. Uh, depth of targets up above 11. I have no problems with that. Josh Allen's had 300 plus yards in back-to-back games for the first time in his career. He's never had 300 yards in a game passing before until these last two. They're clearly taking a different approach to the offense, leaning more on his arm. And while his percentage of deep ball throws is down from his first two seasons, the percent that he's completing them is way, way higher. So all of this lines up for somebody like Stefan Diggs to be able to have some really solid performances. Uh, 39% of team air yards, uh, 28% target share. Is it a tough matchup? Sure it is, but he's going to go low on because the matchup and because he's priced up around a lot of other good receivers. But when you look at what he's done through the first two weeks, Stefan Diggs has placed himself in a position to have some monster games. And I can see this one shooting out if Josh Allen continues to throw the ball well. Floor jurors, I've talked too much about this game over the last week. I'm going to bore people. Hey, no, you did, a, you did a great job because you took a ton of my notes away. This popped immediately in terms of shootout potential. The Buffalo Bills defense, especially in the secondary, is still considered one of the best pass defense. But looking at just PFF grades so far, the net advantage is about none. 
So essentially, they're right at zero. Like I said earlier, I kind of fade middle-of-the-road defensive metrics, which basically means I'm not afraid of the Bills' defense right now. And even though Jalen Ramsey has been fine this year, I'm not afraid of the, the Rams' defense either. And both quarterbacks... Allen and Goff have graded out more efficiency, more efficient than their career averages so far this year. I got to give half toss to the Bills organization, too. I was doing the research for this week and just looking back at the tape for the last two weeks. They were absolutely right to go after Antonio Brown and try to get an alpha receiver for Josh Allen that could get open. As we said in our first podcast of the year, Josh Allen isn't necessarily the most accurate deep passer. What helps him a lot is getting elite separators that first started with Cole Beasley underneath, then they added John Brown. But you're talking about a whole different caliber of wide receiver when you're talking about Stephon Diggs. And so all the metrics look exactly what you like exactly what you want for in an alpha receiver. Wide receiver seven in yards per route run, in the top 13 in true weighted opportunity percentage, in the top 12 in, 20, uh, in target share, getting over 120 air yards per game, over a, uh, 1.5 red zone targets per game, over 1.5 deep targets per game. This is an alpha receiver that we want every week, regardless of matchup. We're, we might be able to start talking about him like we talk about Adams or Hopkins, which is something that we've always hoped for with Diggs, but never quite seen. And I'm happy for Josh Allen, too. You know, it looks like he's finally being more efficient on his passes. He's priced up this week. He's QB4, but the projections are right there in line with it. He's QB5 on awesomeo.com. So I'm not scared there, and especially with the amount of deep passes and the shootout potential, I'm going to have a little bit of him this week for sure. So am I. And someone mentioned, is John Brown a decent pivot? Or Look, I'm okay going to the passing game in general here. So, yeah, John Brown, viable to me. Josh Allen leads, is tied with Aaron Rodgers in completed deep balls this year. He's thrown nine. Rodgers has thrown 17. Uh, his NFL, uh, his passer rating on deep balls, 155.8 with an adjusted completion percentage of 77.8. So it's not, this is, this is good stuff. And I'm willing to run it back out there and hope that he can keep it up. If not, you know, that's life. That's tournaments. Uh, but I, I, the reason I like this is because on the other side, Cooper Cup and, and, and Robert Woods are both very viable options. You're, you have Tyler Higby coming off a three-touchdown game. I, I likely stay away from the run game here, and I would have loved to have seen, you know, not because I like to see injuries, but that linebacking core for, for the Buffalo Bills, which is why I was so high on Mike Gusecki last week, knowing that they were down two starting linebackers and two very good ones to boot that that was going to open things up a lot in the middle of the field. It did. Because I get 130-plus yards and a touchdown. That would have made things better for, for Tyler Higby and, and cleared open the middle of the field more. But it appears that both of them will be back on the field for Sunday afternoon. So I missed just that last part there, who's going to be back on the field there. But in terms of the Rams Tremaine offense, Edmonds and Milano, the, the oh, two, line, oh, yes, two the starting linebackers, linebackers for, for the Buffalo Bills, which I think is actually huge news. It is. You know, the middle of the field, you you need those reinforcements. And, and they were without them last week, and they only beat the uh, Miami Dolphins by, what, three points? Yeah, that's correct. And one thing, this is a generalization about most NFL teams, but if you look at the underlying coverage metrics for most linebackers, a team has one, quote-unquote, coverage linebacker. And if that coverage linebacker isn't available, usually the next man up is 
often not usually done used for pass coverage, and so they're playing a little out of position. That is something we definitely want to look for and exploit going forward. Thing with the Rams passing game is it's very flat. It's extremely efficient right now. Jared Goff's overall efficiency numbers put him in uh, basically tier two among quarterbacks this year, below players like Mahomes and Wilson, but really solid numbers. Uh, Allen is actually in that as well. But the big thing is I can't really predict the volume so far this year. It's really flat. You got nine targets for Robert Woods. He's caught eight of them. Great. Ten targets for Cooper Cup. He's caught nine of them. Nine targets for Tyler Higbee. He's caught eight of them. Seven targets for Van Jefferson. He's caught five of them. Point is, it's a low dot offense that's supposed to get the ball in space to players on short routes and make things happen. And Goff's doing it efficiently this well, uh, this year, excuse me. Uh, it looks like in projection versus pricing, we're really in line here at Osmo.com. So the one player I might look to is Cooper Cup, if only because he... I love the yak, the yak players, the possibility of breaking tackles. He hasn't done it so much this year, but he is wide receiver 20 in yards per route run uh, over to Van Jefferson, I actually will say, is right there with him at wide receiver 12 as well. That would be a, a tournament pivot for me. McVay's clearly made a concerted effort to get the ball out of Jared Goff's hands quick and make life a lot easier on him. Uh, you know, there was an article on Pro Football Focus that, hey, they need to do that with Baker Mayfield. Stop making him stand in the pocket and actually pretend he's a quarterback. And I don't say that insultingly. I'm saying hey, you, you can get guys to perform in ways that will still be high efficiency without, you know, dropping back every time, waiting for, like, going through your reads, getting clipped, turning the ball over, trying to fit it through tight windows. Watch Jared Goff play. These guys are wide open, Matt. Like, mm-hmm. He doesn't need to do anything. He's got a couple nice touch passes here and there, but wide open. And I'm not discrediting him. I'm just saying that McVeigh's very smart, and he has opened this offense up really well. All yeah, right. well said. Carolina and the L.A. Chargers. Here's another. Oh, I'm, yeah, that's right. This is the right one. Carolina, L.A. Chargers. Hit that thumbs up if you're just coming in, by the way. You haven't done so yet. Chargers are favored on the road, or I'm sorry, at home. See, we're getting to that point where I start dragging, man. This is my second show of the day. We're an hour and a half in. Chargers, minus six and a half, 43 and a half point total. I, um, I think Josh Kelly should be concerning every single Austin Eckler owner out there. You know, the, this, is, this is a bit of an issue if you're talking about uh, – they, they have the same amount of carries. They both have 35 carries on the season. Austin Eckler has two more targets. This is a full-out timeshare in L.A. right now, and that isn't to say that these guys aren't going to have big games. Uh, I think given the matchup that they're going to lean heavily on the ground again, especially with, with Herbert expected to start. But it's going to be tough to figure out who's going to get the bulk of the work late in games and, and throughout games because – so far, it's been a bit of a mess. Yeah, I actually came away a little bit more encouraged with Austin Eckler than it sounds like you did. He did have 20 opportunities in week one and 20 opportunities in week two. The one thing we did see, though, with, uh, by the way, sorry to tangent here, but hats off to Justin Herbert, who gets the nod like five seconds before starting and plays an extremely competent football team against the world champs. Terrible pick, though, Matt. I bet him second half money line. Oh, that interception where all he had to do was run for a first down. Like the first, he literally had the first. Yep. And he's right here, maybe, maybe a foot away. 
and decides to throw it into triple coverage in the end zone. So wouldn't be the first rookie quarterback trying to do too much no, in the he, NFL. Listen, he played. He played well. He kept them in a game against a very talented. And to be fair, Chargers defense looks really good too. Yeah, for for real. They, Even without Chris their, Harris. They, it, Oh, I, I'm sad now we're never going to see the full strength LA Chargers 2020 defense because they look ferocious. Yeah. I digress back to Austin Eckler in the running game here. Justin Herbert, a more traditional upright quarterback, although he did look good running the ball, four times more targets than the first game for Austin Eckler. He was running back 11 if you wait the opportunity. So in weighted opportunities, the, the targets are going to look better. So he really is a top 12 running back still. And then he's up to running back four and avoided tackles per touch. That's the big thing. The first game, he really didn't avoid a lot of tackles. They just got him in opportune moments. He rushed for over five yards a carry. Now he got receptions and he broke tackles. That's what we want to see from Austin Eckler, him in space, even if he doesn't get that full opportunity share. He's priced at running back eight this week on the slate and he's actually down at running back 10 in the projections so it's a slight fade but it's not anything you want to get completely away from especially in a positive game script where they are favored and again josh kelly is probably the more uh i guess intriguing player because he does look good on the workload that he's getting he's sixth in raw carries among running backs which is just great running back 12 in red zone touches and running back 17 in overall rush yards so this is a running back two on an offense but you know you could make an argument for it's a running back two overall in fantasy football right now as well rank quickly rank these three low-owned running backs right now kind of an interesting tier we've got you got sanders at 6400 he's going to siphon so much of that ownership away from this tier uh, Jonathan, give me four. Jonathan Taylor, seven K. Well, no, you know what? He's he's high on owned enough. I'll go with mm-hmm. these three. All of these below five percent. Austin Eckler, sixty eight hundred. James Conner, sixty seven hundred. Chris Carson, or no, uh, who do we? Nick Chubb, sixty nine. Austin Eckler, sixty eight. James Conner, sixty seven. Uh, as a as a usage sucker, I'm going to go James Conner first, just because we project him to get the full workload. And then Nick Chubb, just because the underlying metrics look so good early on this year. So, yeah, Austin Eckler does come third on that list. But, again, we're, we're, we're nitpicking here. And, you know, even just the same logical uh, thought process that other people are doing, that's going to lead to low ownership for these players. So, I'm a little bit worried about Keenan Allen. If I had some sprinkles of him in there after that last game, I'd be okay with a 10-target performance. Uh Mike Williams, I, I I don't have a ton of confidence here with the young rookie quarterback. There are some elements of this at, uh, this matchup, not the matchup, sorry, but having Herbert, despite playing well, that concern me because I think they're going to be able to run the ball. As I mentioned earlier, PFF has the Carolina Panthers graded dead last in run defense this year. I don't anticipate that really changing anytime soon. Maybe there's some synergy building throughout the, the, the season as it goes on. But I have some serious concerns about that. Uh, Football Outsiders DVOA metric has them 29th out of 32. So they're pretty much bad everywhere. And if you're bad on the ground, a lot of times, Matt, what you're going to see is teams will just lean on the ground game. So I don't I don't have a ton of interest in the Chargers passing game, not because I don't think they can be efficient, but because I don't think there's going to be enough volume. 
Right. We're concerned about volume much more than efficiency. Well said. I did like to see Keenan Allen's uh, target share and air yard share stabilize a little bit more. He's back in the top 15 in most of these usage metrics that we like to see. Mike Williams actually has a really strong projection on this slate. We have nine wide receivers on the main slate projected for 2.7x or more, and Williams is one of them. So it, it does look like a situation where you could get the low ownership with Williams, and he is the higher A dot on a per target basis. So if you're looking for low volume, you certainly want higher depth of target as well. I I see the same things you're seeing is what I was really going to say. The net run advantage on PFF right now has the Los Angeles Chargers first, and their net passing advantage is third. So again, we're exploiting the Carolina Panthers defense until further notice, and it doesn't change here with the Chargers, even with Justin Herbert. Are you interested in the Carolina Panthers? Oh, this is tough, man. You don't even like that. If you don't yeah. like him, you don't have to try and find anyone. You can flat out say, not interested. But maybe there's somebody you like here. It's possible. It's a volume play with Bridgewater and more. Bridgewater is a top five target hog in the league. He's third in true weighted opportunity rating. He's, even with all that usage, he's two point, his 2.15 yards per route run puts him 22nd in the league. And he's getting 11 targets per game. I mean, that's fantastic. That's wide receiver four, two of them deep. So uh, you could go there. You could go Robbie Anderson. Does, I, I know this is a little bit of an old-fashioned anecdotal take, but with the talent of Christian McCaffrey, both as a rusher and receiver, does the Carolina Panthers offense have enough to really get offensive drives sustained and going? Does Mike Davis fill in well enough? I know he caught eight passes last week. Does he fill in at, well enough to convert these drives into scores? I'm really concerned. So am I. Um, to me, I want pieces of this game, probably not stacking it as much. Maybe that's a mistake, but there are other games that I'm very much looking to get a lot of. 43.5 point totals, pretty low here. The Carolina Panthers have uh, an implied total that is equally un- un- undesirable at 18.5 points. I do want to add one thing. Sorry. Bobby Anderson is playing. Robbie Robbie Anderson's playing his best football. No surprise since he left Adam Gase. But Robbie Anderson, his underlying metrics are just phenomenal. He has 3.67 yards of separation at target. That's wide receiver three. And that's with players playing off of him in the defensive game. His cushion, as in the cushion yards given to him at the time of snap, is over five yards. So they're really respecting the deep ball. That's 10th in the league right there. And the QB rating when targeted is up over 137. That's top 12 in the league. So, you know, this is a wide receiver one hiding in wide receiver two's clothing. And especially on a low-owned stack, that's somewhere I might try to go in tournaments. Okay. Let's keep it moving here. We've got a few games to get to. We're making it, man. We're doing this. Making it happen. Uh, who do we have next? We already hit the Jets in, in the Detroit and Arizona. Great game to stack, but super, super popular. I'm going to give my quick opinion on this because I went over it yesterday, and then I'll let you run with it. Uh, one thing, one way to attack this game that just makes way too much sense to me is while everyone is heavy stacking the Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, who's also getting a lot of ownership, one way that you can really differentiate here is stack the, the Lions 
and then run it back with Hopkins or run it back with Drake uh, and, and give yourself a little bit of differentiation here because as of now, it looks like the aggregate stack ownership on Arizona is 18% and only 3.5% on Detroit. If I'm getting that low aggregate ownership on Detroit, outside of Kenny Galladay, there's nobody above 5 or 4%. Nobody, right? Not Hawkinson, not Marvin Jones, not Matthew Stafford. So what you're seeing here is that it's going to be Arizona stack, Kenny Galladay run back. That's going to be the chalk right there. I can guarantee that's going to be the case. Mix it up a little bit. You could easily see Arizona go up in this game, and Matthew Stafford, as he's done many times, throw for 380 yards and four touchdowns in a losing effort. So that's where I stand on this, Matt. I won't get deep into the numbers. What I will tell you is from an ownership standpoint, one way to be very different in a game that has a 55 total is go lion stack, run it back with Arizona and make yourself different from a ton of people that are going to be taking the opposite approach. Well, this is annoying because I have the exact same notes to start and I feel like I've been a broken record today <laughs> with good. that anyway. But exactly what I was going to say there, uh, one thing, as we mentioned, we were talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers and the use of a number one and wide, wide receiver and a number two wide receiver. The same thing I think is starting to bear out with these Detroit Lions receivers. Marvin Jones is a wide receiver too. He's a damn good one at that. But when placed in the wide receiver one role, the offenses that he's on seem to struggle. I remember when A.J. Green missed time and people were projecting him very highly in Cincinnati. It was the same exact situation. But now for the Detroit Lions, their main red zone threat is back. Their main deep target threat is back. Their number six receiving receiving yards per game threat is back. He was the wide receiver one in total TDs last year. This is a massive, massive loss when they don't have him. And so now we get an offense that is functioning in the way that it's supposed to, which we haven't seen at all this year. So the pricing is already affected by their first two weeks of underwhelming play. But we have reason to believe that they could overachieve their expectation. And as expected, Matthew Stafford's underlying efficiency numbers don't look as good as they did a year ago at full strength in the receiving core you know he's only throwing three deep balls per game that's 16th we usually think of him as quite aggressive he only has five red zone attempts per game that's also 16th one problem right now is that their protection rate is extremely low i have them at 31st in protection rate right now he's still managing plenty of deep uh deep balls to get ninth in total air yards but with kenny galladay back in the fold and we have to mention TK, TJ Hawkinson, excuse me, because Arizona is still bad against tight ends, even if they're not historically bad like they were last year. I, I really think that the Lions game stack in this massive over-under game is exactly where I would start tournament lineups. And, and now that we're saying it, we'll have, to, we'll have to try something new off of that. But Galladay, Jones, and Hawkinson will all be in my player pool this week. Absolutely. I'm hoping that they're towards the top of my player pool as well. Uh, And I I don't even want to spend time on Arizona. We already know the answers there. You and I just, I think we broke it down pretty succinctly. So I'll just end with this. This isn't to say that we're saying don't play Hopkins, don't play Drake. You're still going to want a a lot of this Arizona team, but, and you're still going to stack some, you're going to still going to have some Murray stacks, right? You're still going to have some full out Arizona stacks. But at the current time, they're just getting such immense ownership that there's no reason not to look at and run it back the opposite way. But uh, yeah, DeAndre Hopkins, gotta love him. Kenyon Drake at his price. 
There's a reason he's 27%. Uh, Matt, you agree with that, right? We can move on? Yeah, he's he's the undisputed, you know, number two in target share. DeAndre Hopkins is probably the best wide receiver in football with Adams a little banged up, period. If you guys haven't checked out Odd Shopper yet, it's free. It's awesome. And there's some awesome promotions for some of these books that are just throwing money at people. It's insane. Like $1,000 sign-up bonuses. I don't know, $500 free bets. Nuts stuff. If you're in these states, uh, check it out. It's uh, Go to awesomeo.com and click Odd Shopper at the top or go to oddshopper.awesomeo.com. It's entirely free. You can shop odds. You can type in any player's name to find all of their props for the week. You can have a watch list where you get notified when the odds move the way you're looking for them to move so you can put your bet in. And, of course, you can shop them from all different books to know where you can get the best numbers. You can track your bets with our bet tracker. There's way too much for me to get into. It's just a ton of stuff, and we have so much more coming. And I'll say this much. Even from a DFS research perspective, like let's say you can't use online sports books in your state. Even from an online or a DFS research perspective, Everything is is in one place. It's super clean and very easy to look at. So I use it for DFS research as well, uh, and 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 it's awesome. So check it out at Odd Shopper, and also check out our podcast network. Everything we do here goes straight to podcast on iTunes or any other platform where podcasts are available. Seattle and Dallas, two to go. Matt, home stretch, baby. Let's here we make go. That. Here we go. And the funny thing is, Arizona, Detroit, and Seattle, Dallas are the two games we'll probably talk about the least because. It's just more of a strategy thing and less of a player thing because the players are obvious right now. They're all getting ownership, uh, specifically because this game has a total of uh, 50, what is it, 50-some points, 50, did I forget to include? No, here it is, 55 and a half. Seattle with a five-point uh, five favorites, 30.25 implied total, and Dallas is still up at 25.25. Like, there's... There's just so many different ways to go with this one, high total, and there's going to be ownership just like the last game. And and I think the ownership is going to be high for the right reason. I think when this game, I was looking at shootout potential of games, of course this game popped way off the page. I mean, it's really kind of exciting just to see what this Cowboys offense is for fantasy football in terms of volume and pace. They're number four in teams pa- team pass plays per game, number three in completed air yards, number six in air yards per game, and number seven in, in fantasy points per drop back for Dak Prescott. I mean, he's utilizing all the weapons they gave him, and Russell Wilson is doing all the things that the media asked Russell Wilson if he was capable of, and of course he answered yes. So, like you said, there's almost... Uh, Not much to say about this game because we know that the players are great. I do want to talk about the players who aren't getting the usage that they once did. Tony Pollard is totally relegated to a backup role. Two carries, two targets, one red zone touch, just 11% of snaps. We're really not concerned about Ezekiel Elliott being anything but a workhorse back. This is a gadget player in Tony Pollard and and a spellback. Only concerned if Ezekiel Elliott got injured. That's not going to happen. Knock on wood. Michael Gallup as well. He is wide receiver 51 in raw targets and a 12% target share isn't a target share we would really care about unless it was on the Dallas Cowboys. So uh, I saw, again, I'm reading, reading my memory of tweets, but part of this is just because cd lamb is good he's really good he's commanding a ton of slot snaps that they used to shift gallop in and out of he is one of five players lamb is and uh, with a 90 percent slot rate 
and he's he's already a top 25 wide receiver in yards per route run in two games so the sky's the limit for him a little bit at Gallup's expense uh Cooper's just fine number number two are tied in raw targets and 13th in target share among wide receivers he's just fine I don't think it's a bad time to go back to Gallup like honestly sometimes I'm just willing to overload I don't I don't mean to say this that that you overlook the numbers but Michael Gallup has proven that he's a talented wide receiver, that he can get open, that he can create separation. And if you know about Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott will look towards the guy that's there. That's why there were games last year where Amari Cooper saw one or two targets. He wasn't needed. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the concern I have here is I really thought after two games, and you mentioned a lot of good stats there, Michael Gallup's target share has been way down for this season. It was actually higher marginally higher than Amari Cooper's last season, but not this year. It's way down, but it's, it's, it's below CD lamb. He's still getting 16% ownership. He's still going to be pretty popular, but this is a game that I, I don't think you can get away from. You, I, I don't see a way you can get away from it. The Dallas Cowboys are another one of those teams similar to the Atlanta Falcons. Their defense has been trash. They're, dealing with more injuries to the defense that's just going to open things up more for opposing passing games. But their offense, Dak Prescott, with Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb, hell, Ezekiel Elliott, these guys are going to score points. And if this ends up being a 40-37 to game, no one's going to bat an eye at it. So, again, for me, I'll leave statistics to the side for a minute and just say that I'm I'm willing to eat chalk with some of these spots because this is one of those games where I would be very surprised to see a low-scoring affair. It's just difficult for me to see either of these defenses really slowing each other down. Um, maybe that'll be on the ground for, for Dallas, and Ezekiel Elliott will be the guy, but I want big pieces of this game. 55.5 total, a 30-point-plus implied total for Seattle. Uh, I'll be getting there a lot. So that's all I have to say on this one, Matt. You can close it up. Yep, just... Uh, when we have a 30-point implied total for a team and they're a favorite, we have to talk about their running back. So Chris Carson, definitely someone you might want to take a look at as well. And one thing I'll just add to the Michael Gallup, uh, you feel like it might be a time where he's due. Only 60% of his targets this year have been deemed catchable. He has zero drops. His talent and his ability to catch the ball has not changed at all. It's just basically how targets have been divvied up these first two games so i like it a lot a little concerned about the high ownership but that's what you get when going to a game like this i'm not fading it i'm not getting cute me neither uh, closing it out with denver and tampa bay thanks to all of you guys for sticking with us this whole time we still got 400 plus watching Whew. Nice. Oh, i tell you it starts to wear you down matt <laughs> we're coming up on that two hour mark we're gonna make it we're gonna make it under the number We're going to get all of you guys out of here. I told you to come prepared uh, with a comfortable chair and some food. I can feel my blood sugar dropping as the minutes pass. Tampa Bay and Denver. Here we have it. 43 and a half point total. Bucks, one of the few road favorites on this slate. Minus six. Actually a little bit surprising to me. I'm not going to lie. But having Jeff Driscoll. Yeah, I get it. Cortland Sutton out for the year. I get it. I still have I still have respect for this Denver defense though, um, and that's one of the reasons why 
I'm not really enamored with this game on either side. As a matter of fact, it's probably going to be one that I don't have much interest in at all. Uh, I'll have pieces, surely, but not a game that I like for stacking purposes. It just doesn't do a ton for me. Tom Brady has not looked sharp. Uh, he has struggled on on many deep attempts or the few that he's attempted this year. The, the run game appears to be a play it by ear if Ronald Jones fumbles. It's like Garrett Blunt's, or I'm sorry, Leonard Fournette. <laughs> that's like, a Freudian oh. slip, though. That was that, yeah, that's exactly. exactly what it feels like. <laughs> it's Leonard Fournette's backfield like it was last time, even though Ronald Jones had the opening touchdown. It's it, it's a little messy, man. But um, I don't know. Do you like this game? No. I mean, when you talk about shootout potential, it's definitely in the bottom third here. Uh, the Buccaneers are completely fine playing a very different style of ball they played last year. Uh, conservative offense, especially against a team that is missing so many playmakers on both sides of the ball. I wrote that losing Cortland Sutton is like losing Julio Jones in the Falcons offense. And it's already low volume compared to, well, compared to most teams, but especially compared to the Falcons. You know, Sutton was second in the NFL in yards per route run. And the Broncos were already second worst in net pass advantage. So this looks like a really, really tough, tough matchup for the Broncos. People are going to gravitate to the rookie, Jerry Judy. He's had some strong underlying metrics so far. Wide receiver 17 in yards per round run. He's seeing a 20% true weighted opportunity share. That puts him in the top 40. One thing I did want to mention is that Osimo's projection are bullish, bullish, excuse me, uh, on KJ Hamler, who I think is going to go underowned, really kind of ignored. Uh, he's priced down at wide receiver 102, and the projections have him here at wide receiver 65. So there's a big discrepancy there. I'm not excited to play him by any means, but Jeff Driscoll has to throw to somebody, and I think if if somebody other than Judy ended up with the highest target share, it wouldn't be surprising, and it would most likely be Hamler, even before Noah Fant, whose volume numbers just haven't been there this year. Well, we've reached the end of the road, Matt. <laughs> Stretch, make it happen, and check out our free content at awesomeo.com today. We've got free NFL showdown rankings, NFL Week 3 projections, for today, I don't, I don't think we're going to have them up there the whole week, but you can check them out today. NBA ownership projections and the NBA player projections. So we got a lot of great stuff for free. You can check, take a peek behind the curtain before you sign up. And remember, like I said, no better time to jump in on that Express Pass where we have just added all NFL showdown content for the foreseeable future. Got a showdown slate tonight between the Jags and the Miami Dolphins. Jump in, $3.95 a week. We'll see you over there. Well, Matt and I just went two hours, but more is coming up. That's right. We just keep pumping out awesome content on the site. And you know what's up next? I'll tell you. The FanDuel DFS Strategy Show. Matt Gajewski, Kyle Dvorak, these guys know their stuff. They're going straight, strictly FanDuel because we spend so much time doing DraftKings. Coming up after that, you've got the NBA Live Before Lock with Josh Ingleman and Ryan then Emac and Jake will take you up to lock for the MLB slate. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you back. Oh, oh, keep that music playing, Jordan. Got the NFL showdown live before lock tonight with Alex Osimo Baker and Kyle Dvorak leading you straight up to lock for the 820 start time between the Jags and Dolphins. Matt and I will see you back here next Thursday. We'll see you back here tomorrow morning at 11 Eastern on the NFL Strategy Show.